The Engineers Collective is powered by Bentley Systems. Around the world, engineers and architects, constructors and owner-operators are using Bentley software solutions to accelerate project delivery and improve asset performance for the infrastructure that sustains our economy and our environment. Together, we are advancing infrastructure. Welcome to the latest episode of the Engineers Collective, where we can be exploring the positive impact the pandemic has had on the uptake of technology as infrastructure teams look to manage, plan and build in a different way, and how use of digital twins has played a key role in that. My name is Claire Smith and I'm editor of New Civil Engineer, and I'm joined today by two special guests, John Nolan from Network Rail and Dan Vogan from Bentley Systems. And together we're going to explore this topic and look at how the industry can build on the rapid change delivered over the last year and get our crystal balls out to look at what technology we might be using in the future to further advance the sector. John is BIM Programme Manager for Network Rail's Wales and Western Region in the UK, but has worked on many high-profile projects, including the Dublin Port Tunnel Project. In the UK, John has worked on a variety of rail and tunnelling projects, including the East London Line, Tottenham Court Road Station Upgrade and Crossrail. In his current role for Network Rail, John has developed the organisation's BIM strategy and has been at the forefront of testing and implementing new technologies and standard operating procedures. Dan is Vice President of Road and Rail Asset Management at Bentley Systems. He has worked with transportation agencies for the last 25 years, focusing on asset inventory, operation, maintenance and oversized overweight permitting automation. Dan works with global development and implementation teams in the United States, Europe and Asia, supporting transportation asset management systems worldwide. So welcome to the Engineers Collective. It's great to have you both with us today. Now, I've already mentioned that we're going to be looking at how the pandemic has really ratcheted up the pace of change in the infrastructure sector. But first, I think it'd be quite useful to take a step back and talk about where we are in terms of technology use, looking at, say, the start of 2020 and really take a stock take of how quickly things have changed particularly in a sector that's often known for being risk-averse and a slow adopter. So let's start with what a digital twin actually is and the way the infrastructure and construction sector was typically using the technology up until a year ago. Dan, can you give us some insight on that, please? Yeah, you know, so I think everybody's got a, a slightly different definition of what a digital twin is. We try and keep it pretty simple and straightforward and say a digital twin is really a digital representation of something physical, an asset, a process, a system. That digital representation has to be continuously updated, continuously surveyed, synchronized from multiple sources. So we're looking for what sensoring data can come in, how frequently you may need to fly that asset and get updated imagery or LIDAR information. And then that digital twin allows us to go and generate insights, using it for prediction and performance operation. And how widespread was digital twin adoption, say, 18 months ago? And had it taken quite a long time to already get to that point, do you think? It's interesting there. We can look at different definitions of digital twins, and and there's areas where there's been a lot of work done over the years in, in believing that we have a good handle on our roadway network or our rail networks and that we were you know, kind of mimicking in our digital models what was out there in the field. 
I think we've gone through the whole BIM evolution and where we are to, with today's definition of a digital twin just takes us that much further. All of the three-dimensional visualization and how frequently we're, we're taking in the updates. Uh, 18 months ago, uh, I think we were in the early days of that move from BIM into the next generation of these, these really robust digital twins. And we've seen the adoption uh, really accelerate here in that time period. So, John, can you give us an outline of how Network Rail was using digital twins up until the start of last year, please? Well, we mainly used the digital twin process on, on major programmes, massive rail renewal and enhancement projects. So we had a process for producing a digital twin, which we, we used for clash avoidance, signal sighting, driver learning videos and so on and so forth. But that was on major programmes. What we've seen with the advent of COVID, especially in the last 18 months, we needed to make information more available to everyone. Everyone was working from home. It was primarily an office-based environment, and it was a it was an exercise that people in my team would would run run the twin and and do whatever needs to be done there. Um, but with the advent of COVID, we needed to find a way to make that accessible to the masses, I guess, from a home environment or an office environment, and in order for them to make key decisions in there. So that that's kind of where our train of thought is. We have a project twin, which is used for capital delivery, which is the infrastructure part of Network Rail. And of course, the plan and the strategy is handover of a, an existing digital twin as part of that. So, John, would you consider the organisation's approach to digital twins to be ahead of the industry in general? Or would you say you were similar to other other infrastructure owners? I like to think Network Rail is ahead of the trend when it comes to the railway industry. But there's many facets of Network Rail. So where I am in Wales and Western region, we have our own initiative and a strategy in there. But I do know in that as a business and ourselves, we have our own intelligent infrastructure department, Asset Information Services. They're looking at that from a very hierarchical point of view. Where, where since devolution came in, and we do tie in with the, with the national strategy, I do think we are, especially when it comes to supply chain, I think we're, I'd like to see, see us as a leader in that field, especially working with Bentley and our partners in that field of getting new technology and new ways of working. Sounds like you were really well placed to use the technology when lockdown happened in March last year. Timing was unbelievable. We had we had an implementation plan for a common day, one common day environment of project wise, the new the new tools that came in with, with that with iModel Hub, um, issue resolution and tools like that. They were perfectly well placed to enable us to do intelligent reviews using the model and intelligent and our, even our construction managers are using some of the techniques in there as well on site. So it was the right thing at the right time to ramp up. Basically, it was brilliant. So, John, to give us an idea of the benefits you've derived from greater use of digital twins, can you tell us how the project you were working on at the time of the first COVID lockdown last year in March and explain how that would have been delivered conventionally rather than with digital twins? Okay, so traditionally, our project would deliver survey data. They would they have a whole different process for design through the different grip stages. So you'd have a, a, the approval stage, detailed design stage and the as stage. What we did in some of our works was we used digital twin to make key decisions in there. So, for example, on one of our development projects for Oxford, we actually used the model to make the digital twin, sorry, to make key decisions, which negated the use of drawings. So we didn't go with the drawing concept. We went with the, with the digital twin concept. So we would show enhanced view of how the, the existing twin would, 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 would work in the future. And there was there was cost savings of the hundreds of thousands of pounds in there by using that technique. It also meant that the information was available to people to use on the project and they could make their own 
they do make their own assumptions and walkthroughs based on that as well. So we did exercises on different projects for enhancements and different projects for even even signal sighting from a point of view. If you have your viewer digital twin in the railway and you have your built asset in there, well, once the asset doesn't move in 10, 15 years, you can, it, surrounding assets might change. Vegetation might come in. You might have new OLE structures. You might have different, different assets come in. That same signal as part of that twin can be used again and again and again for the same purpose. And we've, we've done that successfully across our stations and across um, different parts of the railway as well. And it was very, very productive. So it really allowed you to collaborate when you weren't actually working in the same room together. Yeah, exactly. And the time, the cost savings was very much was was, was large. So in the in the good old days, they used to do signal sighting without the twin. They go on site, the accommodation, the possessions need to be health and safety was a big aspect. Because we're using the digital twin to do this type of task now, it does come down on it. And health and safety is is the is the main criteria as well. Keeping people off the railway. Some of the initiatives that are in place is to roll this out. So what my plan is, is that we have a regional twin rather than a project-based twin, and that's maintained as well in the future. That sounds like something really exciting to look forward to. But taking us back to the project you were working on, can you tell us a bit about that project and explain how you managed to develop a digital twin so quickly to allow you to continue working on that project? And what other benefits you derived really from that approach? Okay, so one of the projects was, was Exeter Station. We had aerial imagery with different different types of baseline data to use that was produced as part of network rail and the information we have. The turnaround time was to produce digital twin was three days. We we had a digital in three days produced. And with that information, we were able to do signal sighting, platform sizing, examining the type of bridges that we could use, and even even like just, just examining different options that were there as part of that with our own internal design partners and external partners as well. So what we did was we caught an awful lot of time and effort that would even traditionally be in the office in that environment. And although we were working from this kind this kind of home teams kind of situation, key decisions were made as part of that process. We could identify what type of bridge would be used, where it would go, was there safe access and egress from the bridge, even even clearances for that as well. So it was it was a very dramatic change in how it works. Another project we were on was um we're on Bristol area. We actually, using Digital Twin, we actually changed the whole design process for signalling and how that should work. So using Twin, we actually placed the signals in the correct location on the Twin, Digital Twin. We got agreement with our train operating companies and freight operating companies. That in turn meant we could give information to the designers to produce the gantry and all the parts that form part of that. And we saved four months in the project by doing that. So that's changes the dynamic of how you would do, do railway infrastructure by using information, presenting it in the digital twin form, and the output was was fantastic. So it really sounds like there were some real benefits derived from what at first would have seemed like a real problem. Yeah. But it's amazing that you managed to do that in three days. I think that's quite incredible. Dan, is the approach that John's team took typical of what you saw happening elsewhere in the world? Can you give us any examples of fast adoption of digital twins and the benefits that that delivered? Oh, definitely. Uh, I think we see it in just about every industry with which we're involved all over the world. There are many, many rail examples, many road examples, examples in oil and gas and, and airports and plants and, and again, happening happening all over the world. You know, we see where the, the rise of the digital twin allows us to just have a better understanding of exactly what's going on, to have insight earlier into potential issues that, that could arise, 
to have a better understanding of materials and crews on site and movement and potential um, movement conflicts uh, as that's going on. And so you know, just improvements across the board in, in every aspect in all those industries. That's great. And John, now your team and the wider management within Network Rail have seen the benefits of greater use of technology on projects. Do you think you'll ever go back to the old ways of working or is the change that's been delivered over the last 18 months now permanent? Where we made the change is permanent. So I'll say that. So the people who have used the new technological ways of working and the new the, the, the digital twin aspect, there's no going back from that. What we're the, the focus we have on is 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 transferring this information across multidisciplines. So network is a big organization, as you can imagine, there's different disciplines in there. Some projects are still wedded to old ways of working, documentation even and things like that, not really digital. So there's a there's a campaign plan in place where we can start bringing information into that environment. It's headed up by Ten of Engineering, which is fantastic, and the endorsement is there by the Capital Delivery Managing Director as well. So the first stage in this in this process is putting all our information in one place that's accessible to everyone. That's the key part and the foundation of Digital Twin. From that and the benefits of the Twin being used for signal sign, clash detection, bridges, examples and signals, where there is a push from different disciplines to start using this technology an awful lot more, building the Twin. And that's what I see is the next phase, next is the next evolution in the process. That'll probably take about now in five years even more to do but we're getting there it's been it's been a nice five ten years already so Rome wasn't built in a day if you know what I mean. Yeah we've certainly seen some fast-paced change so we're focused a lot on delivery of new projects using digital twins up to this point but there have been significant benefits to be gained for teams delivering infrastructure maintenance on existing assets too haven't there. Dan can you tell us what the wider benefits of taking a whole life approach using digital twins is? Oh, definitely. And this, this is an area that I'm really excited about, where my team is spending a whole bunch of time right now. You know, with the construction aspect, uh, we can use that twin to understand what the current state is. We can overlay what we think the future state is going to be. We can compare that future state against uh, the progress that we're making. But the, the world has so many assets already in place on which we depend for safe and efficient movement, on which we rely on so greatly each day. We've seen so many issues around the world with some really significant failures. And uh, what we need to do to better inspect those assets, identify changes in conditions earlier on, uh, and allow us to uh, hopefully find those issues sooner and eliminate some of those catastrophic events. We have been looking at what we can do with a digital twin and how detailed or granular that twin can be that allows us to actually do what was required to be physical inspection of an asset. Uh, For example, we're spending a lot of effort right now on bridges. Uh, With a bridge, almost all the laws around the world have required kind of arm's length visibility to each of those elements that that, that constitute the structure and uh, having that that vision and visibility and, and access to the structure. There's a lot that goes into that, though. Uh, you know, huge issues with accessibility, huge issues with safety, uh, issues with expensive equipment that's needed, and inconveniences to the general public and how we're closing down lanes and, and affecting the, the movement of folks overall. 
with the level of granularity and detail that we can now provide a digital twin, and with some of our, we're talking about it as an immersive aspect, we can allow an inspector anywhere in the world to pretty much immerse themselves in that model and do maybe more efficiently uh, what had only been possible in the field before. Uh, we see it going and, and really enabling our inspectors, who we have fewer of with long-term experience, to use their time more efficiently. Uh, we see it allowing us the opportunity to open up the inspection processes to those who had fears of height or physical ailments that didn't allow them to get into the positions that were required for inspection. Uh, it allows us to have those inspectors using all of their time doing that kind of review rather than taking time traveling from asset to asset. So we some some absolutely humongous benefits now to what's possible this way. Is that something you agree with, John? Oh, definitely. Without a doubt. The change in dynamic has been, has been immense. There's a big push in our region for UAV drone technology. It's been used in an awful lot of projects that we have. And we've even have, um, we're even examining using artificial intelligence and how that is going to identify our assets based on there as well. I think some of the drivers are, as well, is that, as, as, as Dan pointed out, it's moving away from mass survey and, and, and possession-based survey, which saves, which is time and cost to the business. But it gives you that that extra functionality that you can do the scans, do do the survey, do the surveys. But it's not just scans anymore; it's it's high definition imagery. So even that technology has moved on. So I hear conversations about we need to fit lidar to drones. But my 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 answer to that is get high definition imagery, and we can use technology to create lidar from that using photogrammetry and things like that. So it's been smarter how you how you work and how you how that operates. So yeah, drones is big in our region, and we have even our contracts. Even our, BIM, our um, EIR, Exchange Information Requirements document, it does say we should start looking at tools and techniques like that to get better input back into the business. And I guess it also opens up the opportunity for inspections to happen during daylight hours rather than in overnight and poor weather, you know, when people don't particularly want to be working. As John talked about the, the high definition too there, uh, you know, when we look at the modeling that we're doing for new construction, we can go in and model a bridge beam in a, I'll say, a relatively few number of polygons. You know, it's, it's a steel girder. It's in the shape of an eye. It's it's so many feet or meters long. And and we, we model that and we can render that and show the progress of moving that beam into place and, and what all is coming in, you know, around it in an involvement. When we talk about what's required from an inspection standpoint, and we look at uh, being able to show rust on a on a steel beam or showing cracks in a concrete beam, we can't do that in a matter of five and ten and twenty polygons. We're talking about models now that are tens and hundreds of millions of polygons to be able to provide that fidelity of seeing a a two millimeter wide crack that runs for for. 10 centimeters or something and being able to detect that it went from from 10 centimeters to 11 centimeters between these last two scans. So the fidelity, the requirements, but then the uh, capabilities and functionality that's provided to those end users is enormous. So we've, we've talked about the fast pace of change. Without the impact of COVID, do you think it would have taken another five to 10 years to get to the point where we are today? Uh, COVID definitely accelerated this uh, when we saw that uh, we had trouble having crews together 
there were limitations on travel. Everyone was pushed for different ways of working. How can we do this uh, smarter, faster, cheaper, remote? And it caused, I think, everyone to take a second look at the technologies that had been evolving and and really give them a, a try. So uh, definitely accelerated it. As well as that, we were provided with means to talk to each other and see each other, but we weren't provided with means to to, to showcase our infrastructure and bring that into everyone's environment. So that's, for me, that was a big acceleration in there as well. And people were were during covid it was not it wasn't it wasn't a great time but the people were interested in the new ways of working and they like to see the new technology and they like to see the new processes that are in place and some people didn't come on board too quick but when they seen the benefits and it, it were, their their colleagues were using it fairly like it fairly took off I, it would have took an awful lot longer to do the rollout plan would have been an awful lot longer and it would have been an awful lot more a hearts and minds approach but because the situation when we had to do something about it Pretty interesting, isn't it? So how can we harness the change that we've seen over the course of the pandemic and try and continue at that pace? Or does that bring other challenges rather than just benefits for the industry? There's definitely challenges. I think that the benefits uh, we will get people to hopefully see definitely outweigh what those challenges are. Uh, but there there will be work to go to, to bring about greater adoption here. Uh, this is a change in the types of skills that would be used in different places. For example, uh, rather than going and sending a large crew out to go and inspect a structure, we're going to see a different type of team that's going to go out to in, to do the, say, drone photogrammetry collection. Those teams didn't exist, you know, a few years ago in, in most organizations. And now we'll see a, a, a an acceleration of the number of teams, the overall team sizes, the the training that's required for drone piloting, what you need to do to make sure you've got appropriate imagery capture uh, so that then we can create the models that are needed and allow some of those engineers to be off-site and, and do the different work there. We're going to you know have some pushback, I think, on, oh, this is additional cost and uh, this is additional time. And I was just talking to some folks just in the last two days here, and they said, as an inspector, I really enjoy going out in the field and being outside and, and doing this inspection. And you say, okay, just because that's that enjoyment there, is it the best way to do this? today. And so we we have to go and, and tackle that. You know, we saw just a, a big, it wasn't a total bridge failure, the, the, the structure is still standing, but the identification of a huge crack in a beam crossing the Mississippi River in, in the U.S. 50,000 cars a day were impacted. There were 700 barges that were backed up on the river below it uh, because the structure had to be shut down. That crack, as we've gone back through and looked at photos and video over the last few years, was actually there to the same extent about two years ago. And it had been missed in human inspection for that long. When we go and we can say we can build this model, we can use some of the AI that John talked about to have automatic detection of cracks or corrosion or you know, whatever the different conditions are that, that we're going and looking for there, uh, we want to make sure that we don't miss that. And you know, another aspect of this is when we send a crew out into the field to do 
an inspection of whatever type of asset it is. I think overall, we've had globally some pretty poor controls on the accuracy or extent of the inspection that was provided. Now, I have a bridge that's 200 meters long and had 12 beams underneath or something. What proof do I have that that crew spent enough time, covered all 12 of those beams, hit the entire length of, of each beam, and had a really comprehensive inspection? Whereas with the technology and immersing the, the user in there, we can go now and pretty much do a, a coverage map and have empirical evidence that the viewer looked at every piece and parcel of of that asset and it provides that level of uh, certainty and auditing and uh, risk management in, in overall process so the benefits are so huge we're going to have to get past some of those challenges in changing in roles in the type of work that's required in a belief that this is going to cost more when we believe done right, that this can actually start costing that much less overall and, and have just some huge returns for everybody. So it sounds like there's some huge benefits to be had. John, have you seen some of the challenges? Have you had issues with people taking on this new idea, new way of working? I think in the railway, like one thing I always say is, we're not changing how people work, we're changing how they view and interpret information. So people have distinctive roles in the health and safety point of view and different different parts of the business. It's how we give them information to make them to help them make key decisions, I guess. So we have a drone team as part of our work safety task force. We have a digital twin from Paddington to Cardiff, which is the Paddington London, UK to Cardiff in Wales. That's a digital twin model of, of that particular project at the stage of time. And we keep building that all the time. I think the key thing is is the buy-in of the, the leadership of the organisation in which they need to buy into it and they'll push it. Therefore, their project managers will start using it a bit more. And one of the key key driver for us would be the development projects. We've we've produced digital twins and we are able to show individual people who live near a proposal of a railway what the view will look like from their front window. They can then make a decision whether that's for them or not as part of the stakeholder engagement that happens there. So comms and involving local corporations, local councils in the kind of work you're doing. In another project we had, we had using Digital Twin, we had 25 options for a footbridge. The preferred option was astronomical. The, co- the corporation wanted that. They didn't want it when they seen it in the Digital Twin world. They weren't happy at all about the scene. So it was very narrowed, very quickly narrowed down to like one or two options. So you can imagine how that works. It's it's stories and it's the development and and how other people see that that gets the rest of the organisation um and thinking along those same lines as well. So there's many facets that's there, but at the end of the day, it's how we I always feel it's how we use the information to help people do their job. Basically, that's that's key. So assuming there are no challenges to adoption and we've got all the money to spend on it. What kind of technology do you think we'll be using in five to ten years' time? And what other benefits could that bring to the industry? I think this is one of your favourite topics, isn't it, Dan? 
Can you oh, crystal it, ball it that? It definitely is. The, the crystal ball is hard, and you know, we have to be careful with, with how far we go there. But I think there's some things that we're doing right now today uh, that will only be augmented that much more in the future. We're a preferred partner for a company called Skydio who creates drones, and they just had a keynote in the last uh, week or so here where they showed their new 3D scan technology. And uh, it's really interesting how they take the drone to the site. They set some kind of bounding box parameters for the area around the asset that they want to have captured. And then they pretty much let the drone at it. It goes and and circles around the asset, uh, understands exactly how it's constructed. It's all three-dimensional shapes. And then it knows how to fly that object, create capture images that have the right kind of overlap for creating good reality meshes, and goes off and, and does that all by itself. Such a huge advancement there from what we had to do with drone pilots and, and you're running into things and the drones start to have some collision avoidance and stuff, but this is this is like next level. Now, you look at the, the natural evolutions there and you talk about our parcel delivery companies today that are talking about last mile delivery from automated drones, that there's going to be a warehouse and this drone lifts off from there and flies the package to my house, right? If we take that and extend that kind of automation of drone with what the likes of Skydio is doing there with the ability to go and, and capture the, the images of this asset uh, in a very, very automated way, we now see a future where you've got fleets of drones that are just automatically doing these repetitive scans and we make it where it's able to be done that much cheaper, that much more regular, and our models are going to be that much more updated. And we're going to have more models to do comparison against and identify change over time much quicker. So evolution, revolution in kinds of data capture there. What data we're capturing is is also going to change. You know, right now, a lot of what we're doing with our inspections and immersive and an understanding of, of asset condition is visual. But how do we augment that with thermal imagery? What can we do with a kind of x-raying? Anything that we can do to, you know, quote unquote, see under the skin and provide insight to an inspector that they can't get themselves visually from the field. So how we do it, how efficiently we do it, how much more information we provide that, that we didn't have access to in the past, and then how that evolves uh, in the work that we do, a, a bit of a gamification there, that I'm challenged to go and move through the inspection of this asset a little bit faster. I'm shown the progress that I've got on this, and there's a, a motivation to keep moving through there and uh, you know work the whole process. So the, the use of hollow lens and that uh, more people are attracted to it because there's a, a tech coolness that's there and using the augmented reality features to see inside of that hollow lens or, or augmented reality device what the physical looks like, what my model looks like, notes that I had taken in the office that then spatially appear on that model and how that allows me to efficiently move around the, the physical asset when I need to be there on the physical asset. I find your use of the word gamification really interesting because I do wonder whether all this technology and this new approach will actually attract new people into the industry who would never have considered coming into construction before. Do you think we actually tell people enough about what's going on, what the change is happening? 
Probably not. Uh, I know it was our company. We've put a big effort here now, uh, big announcements in the work that we need to do with educational institutions. I think that's really, really critical. And educating you know, not only at the collegiate and high school levels, but, but at the earlier levels in grade schools and intermediate schools and uh, showing what's possible and making sure that there's an understanding of the accessibility from a diverse standpoint now and that I, I may have those fear of heights. I may have a physical limitation. This isn't a men only kind of job anymore that anyone can do this. You have a skill we provide now, a level of accessibility that had never been there before. So as this is happening, we do have to do much better in marketing the opportunity uh, to the masses. Yeah, I think it's be interesting to see what that impact is. John, if you could have any technology to use on your network, what would it be? What would you like to see coming through the next five to 10 years? Oh, wow. That's a very big ask, that is, to be fair. I, I, I don't think I, this, this time frame wouldn't take that in, into consideration. I, I guess it's just follow our strategy. As Dan said, our next, our next step is, is augmented reality, virtual reality, immersive experience. So we have the tools and we have technology to make our digital twin available in the office-based environment, even, even on, the, on the app environment. But what I'm keen to progress is how we... How we look at our proposals, how we look at our utilities, buried services, maintenance schedules, records, all that information that is tucked away in people's desks or offices. If we have that in a common day environment and using our digital twin and the fact that it's geospatial and real world and it's an engineering twin at the same time, so it's nearly millimetre accurate. If we can make that that information accessible on the ground, on the railway, people will build to the right specification. They'll know the right maintenance records. They'll be able to repair an awful lot quicker. They'll be able to approve an awful lot quicker, especially when it comes to doing asset management handback and that kind of procedure. If it's all digitized and geospatial, it should be tick-tock and press a button and then it comes back in. So that's where we're going next on this on this journey. I think it's I think it's the right way to go. But then there's other parts of the business that are doing other things as well. But we can discuss that at another time, I guess. It sounds like it's a whole other podcast there with that one. Yeah. So this technology is really going to drive potential for a more proactive approach to maintenance rather than reactive. Will that change bring funding challenges for infrastructure owners or will the cost savings delivered by these new approaches actually solve those challenges and help better prioritise funds? You're nodding away there, John. Yeah, because I'm doing this every every week. This, this pops up, especially this week, one of our, one of our major programmes. So I've highlighted the advancements of Digital Twin how what we should use, how we should visualize the information using iTwin services. And there was a cost limit in there. So I decided that I would revolt on that and I would say I do, I rebel on this. I think it's it's a short-sighted view. We should make the information available for an integrated project delivery, use technology that's there, and then we will save time on the program and cost recuperating in time for delivery, in design and construction. So I've bounced back that challenge in there because it's not if you if you think about investment on an infrastructure, there is there is expenditure to be spent, but if we more use more efficient ways of working and visualizing information and interrogating information, this this will change and we we've demonstrated that on enhancements and 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 development projects already I mentioned earlier on, and hundreds of thousand pounds of cost savings can be done, but can be brought in. By using this technology, so we need to. 
I think everyone needs a wake-up call. Let's trial it. Let's see how it works. If you don't like it and don't use it, then fair enough. But I think people will. Be interesting to watch, won't it? Dan, have you, have you, what do you have thoughts on in terms of paying for the new approach? Do you think it will pay for itself? Uh, I think it definitely can. Um, you know, when, when I talk to somebody who's not doing this day in and day out, you, know, you go and look at it, and when we talk about infrastructure, there's monies that we can put into designing or planning. There's monies that we can put into building. There's monies we can put into inspecting. And there's monies we can put into fixing. The pots, the, the, the budgets that we have aren't growing significantly anywhere. There may be transportation stimulus that comes about based on uh, trying to get us all out of the, the pandemic times. That will be good. But we're always going to be in a position where the budgets that we have aren't sufficient for everything that we want to go and try and do. We have to ensure safe and reliable infrastructure. So we can't eliminate an inspection process. We can do it that much more effective. If we move away from the historical schedule-based inspection and get to the point where we are doing things in a much more automated way and can become much more predictive rather than reactive in our fixing, we should be able to reduce costs there. And I think then the, the win-win is to try and put as much into the the building of the new, that we want better, newer infrastructure with, with expansions, with you know, higher speed mobility, with more automated mobility. And so to be able to do what we need to do on the inspection process without cutting any corners, and in fact, doing it better so that we can be predictive Doing that with less costs uh, will all benefit in in being able to have a better allocation for the building of the new. And uh, I think it's definitely possible here with with the digital twins. It's hard to see why anyone wouldn't want to move in this direction, really, isn't it? So thank you both for joining me today. The pandemic has definitely been a challenging period for everyone, but it's been really interesting to observe the rapid changes it's brought about to our working methods of working. Over the next year and beyond, I think it'll be really interesting to see how those methods continue to evolve and whether the industry and its clients are now hungry for more technology. And I certainly think the exact detail of those changes will certainly be the topic of more podcast episodes in the future. So thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you in association with Bentley Systems. With digital technology changing the way the world lives, it's time to apply digital technology on infrastructure projects to close the productivity gap with other industries. Work with a partner you can trust and accelerate your pace if possible by going digital with Bentley at bentley.com.